0: Good morning and welcome to episode 986 of Effectively Wild, a daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com and our Patreon supporters. I'm Sam Miller of ESPN, along with Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Hello, Ben. Hello. I want to read you a passage right. uh, about a pitcher, an athletics pitcher, so and get ready for that. You ready? I'm ready. All right. This season in both leagues, there were only three pitchers who appeared in more innings than him, and all of them were far older than he. This last is the point, of course. Young pitchers' arms are so fragile, so easily susceptible to permanent injury, that many clubs have various self-imposed rules to protect them. One team limits its, youngs- its youngsters to a maximum of 100 pitches per game. Another does not allow its pitchers to learn the slider until they're at AAA, and presumably in their 20s. He turned 22 last July, and his left arm just might be the most valuable natural asset to turn up in the majors in a decade. He has powerful legs, and thus throws without effort or strain. He has excellent control, and thus does not waste many pitches. The true balance sheet and final assessment of his first season may not be known for another year or two. Which athletics pitcher am I talking about?
1: Rich Hill. No. (laughs) Barry Zito. No. Mark Mulder. No. (laughs) You <laughs> said 100 pitch limit, so it seems like it probably can't be that long ago. Huh. I don't know. I'm gathering that you don't know. That's right. It's Vita Blue. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's longer than I would have thought that any team had 100 pitch limit.
0: Me too. This whole passage to me felt like something that I would not have read at any point before 1997, at least. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was written in 1971. Oh. Uh it also uh, it goes on, in these and other ways, he reminds me at times of another left-hander, Jerry Kuzman, who pitched in 263 innings in his brilliant first full season at the age of 24 and has never since been able to throw a decent fastball. Well, young pitchers are eager and forever anxious to get out there and fire. It is the management that decides when to call on them. I uh, So that was interesting to me because of the time period. Uh, It also made me think about Jeff Zimmerman's piece in the Hardball Times annual that is uh, just just out now, um, which I don't know if you have read or seen. But he uh, sort of fact checks one of Scott Boris's uh, arm health studies, which is uh, quoted in Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, uh, and uh, finds that that Scott Boris uses, um, you know, questionable, (laughs) (laughs) questionable statistical uh, principles in order to uh, to make a point. And Jeff wonders aloud why, uh, because he, he doesn't think that any GM would would necessarily accept these conclusions without doing his own research uh, and presumably finding the same holes in the logic that Jeff uh, Zimmerman found. Uh, and he concludes, I think, reasonably and, and, and rightly that the audience of this study is not the general manager. It is the pitcher himself, that this is Scott Boris's way of getting his players... Uh, to take some agency in how their own arms are used. And that this is really about scaring Steven Strasberg straight uh, rather than trying to convince Steven Strasberg's boss uh, necessarily of anything. So I thought that was really interesting. It's a good essay by Jeff yeah.
1: Zimmerman. Yeah, I have my copy of that book, but have not had time to dig into it yet, but it's fun. one of my
0: favorites every year. Yeah. I uh I particularly enjoyed uh Enoceris on rubbing mud. I love I love rubbing mud. Uh mm. and uh Mike Petriello on uh catcher arm strength, which I learned a lot about. Hello, let me What? since I got you here, mm. uh how hard do you think is the hardest average miles per hour of a catcher's arm to second base? Like eighty five ish. Yeah, it's eighty six. Uh yeah. any guess who it is?
1: Is it Christian It's Betancourt? Vita Blue.
0: <laughs> no. Oh, is it uh <laughs> Christian Bethencourt would be, I don't think he qualified uh for the uh for the table. Well, he might He's, have. Oh, but he he had the Gary highest. Gary Sanchez, peak. right? It is Gary Sanchez, yeah, eighty six yeah. miles an hour.
1: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Shall I mention the headline that a listener named Henry sent us
0: yesterday? I do not know uh what you're referring to.
1: It's an MLB.com headline, and it's on a Richard Justice story. Not that the headline was a Richard Justice headline, I'm sure. But it's about winter meetings, and I guess who's available at the winter meetings. The headline is Rain Here... I don't even know how to pronounce this. See, it's a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer pun, or it's supposed to be. It's Rain Here Games Add Some Very Shiny Prose with an exclamation point at the end of it. But games... Is GMs because talking about GMs, so it's really rain here. GMs add some very shiny pros, except GM happens to be, I guess, a way that you could also abbreviate games. And so, even if you even if you say it as games, it's not really how the song goes (laughs) because it's just had a very shiny nose, add some very shiny pros. It's a stretch, and I think it's probably the worst MLB.com headline I've ever seen. And by worst, I mean, I guess you could consider it best. But if if MLB.com is going for intentionally funny because they're so such a stretch headlines, then this would be the best ever.
0: I like add some very shiny pros. Yeah, I guess that part, if it were just that part. This reminds me a little bit of a uh, joke, the punchline of which was, rude officer ed knows reindeer. uh a very long uh, it is a shaggy it's sort of a shaggy dog joke that ends with rude officer ed knows reindeer
1: uh-huh yeah
0: all right i think i i think i got that from the years that i spent going to vacation in a cabin uh that had nothing but reader's digest <laughs> okay let's talk about the cba all
1: right nothing about rich hill what's Quiet there to less... say it's done no Still, three years forty eight. Everyone is tweeting and posting about what our or your final prediction or not really prediction, but what you would pay him
0: was. It was whoa, it was like three and fifty something sixty something at one point. I think I, was. the peak when we did the comps and more or less stopped uh, adjusting every day, I think our peak was three and sixty three. And then as of, uh, I think we did a post-season uh, after the season one uh, in which I think we said three and 51 or three and 54. Uh huh. So the Dodgers have pretty much caught up to what I would what I would give. I, I still think it's a, a little bit of a bargain and I would definitely make that move. Uh, and I'm somewhat ashamed of the other 29 teams that wouldn't. I mean, as you know, Dave Cameron wrote it up and uh, as as Dave writes. You don't get no risk for fifty million dollars. You know, it's not like there are a bunch of players signing for under fifty million dollars that are sure things. And um, you know, I'd rather have him than I would have ever had. Rather had a uh, you know Ubaldo Jimenez, I think, for fifty million, or uh, Irvin Santana who got fifty million, or Matt Garza who got fifty million, or Ricky Nolasco who got you know close to fifty million. So it you know it doesn't. I, I don't know if people are surprised or uh, or impressed by how much he got, but it seems seems nice to me. Seems like a good deal.
1: Yeah, right. And another popular effectively wild player news, Jeff Passen reported that it looks like Shohei Otani will be posted following this upcoming season following twenty seventeen, so he could be in the majors in two thousand eighteen. So Yeah, I don't I, I don't I don't get here.
0: it. I don't get it. Because they Why ju- they're waiting? No, because they just passed, a, I mean, they, well, they just agreed to a collective bargaining agreement that makes him, like, more or less ineligible for this, right? Yeah. I don't understand. Right. I don't understand how this works. There's like, one day it's... some sort of loophole, but
1: I don't know what it is. There's, I see. Passon says that his sources have told him that there are potential ways around the limit on spending for under 25 players like Otani. So, I don't know I, yeah, what that okay. would be,
0: but loopholes are always good for athletics Mm -hmm. but in this case i approve the loophole sure all right right. so uh we're going to talk about a few of the things in the collective bargaining agreement you've heard uh probably a lot about all of them but you have not heard from ben so i'm gonna say some of these things that are going to change and uh and we'll talk about what we think about them all right okay all right so ben what do you think of the 10-day disabled list
1: I like it. I think it's uh I, I haven't really considered the full implications for how it could be exploited and what nefarious ways one could use it, but I think in general the idea the stated intent of it is good, and obviously everyone had been talking about whether there would be fewer games in the regular season that didn't happen, but there will be more off days, there will be shorter DL stints, and that seems like a good thing it doesn't really favor either players or ownership it seems like it's generally a good thing for the game if guys who are hurt but not so hurt can get on the DL and get some rest and not hurt themselves more and not try to play through pain and pretend that nothing's wrong with them so
0: yeah the I guess the risk is that it opens up shenanigans because mm -hmm. um, a lot of the contours of a season are within 10 day periods and so uh, if for instance you know that you have maybe two off days in an eight-day span, and you want to skip your fifth starter, well, now you can make up a reason for him to get on the disabled list and do a four-man rotation, taking advantage of those off days, and add a, you know, what is de facto 26th man to your roster. Uh, If you know that you're going to play interleague play, and you have a DH who will be superfluous in uh, a National League ballpark, you could Make up a reason for him to be on the disabled list, and maybe you'd have uh, at least six of those days. You wouldn't need to worry about him. And if uh, ten day does ten day includes an off day, right? Uh, Off day counts. It's not 15 game. It's 15 day, and so uh, you might even be able to squeeze uh, you know eight of those 10 days in which you don't need him, and then have a again, a de facto 26 man. I, I guess I don't really care if they if they do that, but I presume that maybe that is why that is one reason. When I was a kid, it was 15 day and then I think 21 day. And I think if you were on the 15 day, you had to come back at 15 days that you couldn't go 16, if I'm remembering this right. I don't know why I'm bringing that up. Uh, <laughs> but I'm trying to think of how the 10 day disabled list is going to be used to uh, make a mockery of the sport. Because we are like we talked. You've written about this. Adam Sobsey's written about this. It was the sort of the premise of the last play index we did. Teams are transaction crazy now in a way that Mm -hmm. they were not before. Like when we talked about, there's been a 14, I think 14 percent uptick in the number of teams since 1988, uh, and yet a 40 percent uptick in the number of players that play uh, in the majors every year because teams love to transact and uh, the. 10-day DL. I wonder if if this was something that GMs requested because they just wanted to be able to fiddle more.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those, I mean, there are always unintended consequences in CBAs, but often you can't see them ahead of time or you you might not even realize that there's a potential for an unintended consequence. This is a case where you just read about it and you go, oh, well, (laughs) someone's going to take advantage of that. And I'm sure that people who were in the room negotiating were not unaware of that possibility. Mm -hmm. And maybe they just decided that the good outweighs the bad. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And the good is obvious. I mean, there are two good reasons for it. You don't want people playing hurt. You don't want to have incentives for them to have to play Uh, when they're not 100%. We do not want to see hamstring strains turn into hamstring tears and so on. And if a person, a player, a player who's fun to watch and who sells tickets is available, is healthy enough to come back, uh, you don't want them to be stuck on the disabled list for three more games. And so those two goods are probably clear enough that uh, there's no need to worry about it. But yes, there are going to be shenanigans here. Yeah. All right. Let's see. No longer will the All-Star game serve as the determinant of home field advantage in the World Series. I'm curious what you think of the replacement system which is best record? Happy with it. Uh huh. It seems it's the it's the most obvious and yeah. um, sort of clearest reasoned replacement. I do you worry about the fact that it could? So I wrote a piece that nobody's read yet. You haven't read yet. That should be up sometime soon about the value of home field advantage in the World Series and how significant it really is. Even though you could make a case that it isn't significant. It is significant or it has been significant and for most of baseball history they treated it as insignificant so insignificant they did not even have to come up with a logical way of handing it out it was just something you inherited by your good luck and there was no real effort into fixing that for a century and when bud selig had the chance to fix it he chose instead to use that to fix the all-star game unsuccessfully uh, because he didn't particularly I don't think care about home field advantage in the world series either he thought that it was a small thing rarely and rarely necessary rarely invoked but in fact i think the all-star, the home field advantage in the world series has had a big effect anyway so the random way of doing it which is originally every other year which was probably better than the all star game method because at least it you know wasn't absurd <laughs> the every other year, at least in a sense it was fair because it was objective. it was it was a coin flip. In fact, they literally did it by coin flip for some years, uh, which I think everybody agrees that coin flips are fair, if not totally just. Uh, they are fair. And with the way that they are going to do it, where it goes to best record, uh, it seems like you have a system that is masquerading as fair. But in fact, carries with it a real serious bias that can tilt things. And that bias is to the team in the worst league. So the Cubs, for instance, would have won it this year. Uh, Maybe they were a better team than the Indians. Maybe they deserved it. They won a lot more games than the Indians. But the National League is hot garbage. They had a 450 winning percentage in interleague play. They would have been collectively a fourth or fifth place team in the American League if we were to believe that hundreds of interleague games Uh, and really thousands over the last decade, are significant. So in that sense, you aren't actually giving it to the team that quote-unquote earned it, although you are giving it to the team that looks like it (laughs) quote-unquote earned it, and maybe that's the point.
1: And you're giving it in the same way that you're giving it in the rest of the playoffs.
0: Yeah, but that, if you're in the same league, then the difference between, I mean, I know that there is a... There can be, especially on the extremes, there can be real differences in the quality of opponent you face within the same league. But mostly it's not. Like, you know, mostly you're playing all the same teams, just in different proportion. I, I would imagine that the gap in in strength of opponent is relatively small. The NL and the AL is a huge difference and has been for many years. And that difference covers 140 of the games each of you play. So in in that sense, it maybe seems... Uh, Like a problem on the other hand Even after a decade Of this I Still think this is going to be a blip In history I don't see Any reason why The next 25 years Should be continued AL dominance In interleague play Mm -hmm. and My first uh, alternative to this would be Give it to whichever league wins interleague play You, You won the harder league and that seems Like a pretty good way of handing out home field advantage To me especially in a year Where The difference is so clear, as it has been so clear. But I don't know that that works when the leagues kind of reach equilibrium again. And you're talking about a couple games of interleague play, deciding who gets home field advantage in the World Series. In that scenario, winning more games makes a lot more sense and is probably a lot more just.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, what if you end up with the Cubs versus whatever, like a wild card team that won... 86 games or something yes the wildcard team was in the better league but it's still not the better team
0: yeah and any solution that you know i would come up with on my own if i were inventing the sport involving you know adjusted record for strength of schedule is like a non-starter yeah exactly like nobody's (laughs) nobody is gonna accept that beyond uh this this phone call right here yeah uh, so you you you're never gonna get it perfect because perfect involves acronyms mm-hmm. um, and so maybe this is maybe this is the best i I'm perfectly content with this again if if the sport existed for me and eight of my friends, it's not how I would do it uh, but recognizing uh, the size of the audience and the different levels of interest, in getting it exactly perfectly right uh, It seems like a good solution mm-hmm. Alright, the qualifying offer system Are you mm. capable of explaining Heck
1: it? No <laughs>
0: it, it really is interesting Because it, the, it Seems like the teeth Have been taken out of it a lot That mm-hmm. um, if you have A Kyle Loesch this year There are only going to be a small handful of teams That are going to be discouraged From signing him in the sense that like if you're a luxury tax team and you sign a free agent for more, I think, I'm not going to get any of this right, but <laughs> uh, for more than $50 million, then you lose a second and a fifth round pick, which isn't a first round pick, but is like kind of close to a first round pick. So there, these few teams that are over the luxury tax, couple few, they will maybe be discouraged from signing the next Kyle Loge everybody else is losing not that valuable of a pick to the degree that I think almost any player who merits a qualifying offer these days and particularly who would get paid more than 50 million dollars the third round pick you lose or whatever would be considered a rounding error and not not discouraging at all I don't mm. I don't exactly in that sense know what this is for um, like <laughs> I, I don't know I no longer know why they do this. I never I, – I mean, I always knew why they did it, I, and it seemed like a dumb system that was not very effective. But I don't even n- really even know what the, the philosophical underpinning of it is anymore. Yeah. It doesn't really <laughs> seem like it's going to – like, as it's been, if the point was to suppress player mobility, there are all sorts of problems with the old system. The most recent system that didn't suppress player mobility or player salary, but to the extent that it did do that, it affected – Two or three players out of 800 a year, yeah. uh, and it just didn't really seem like worth having this in a contract. But at least they were saving some money. I don't know that there is a single dollar that doesn't get spent on players next year because of this. And the complexity of it is so like there's now like there's like eight tiers going on at once, which just feels <laughs> like. I don't know what I'm worried that that makes it ripe right for, but maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there are like unintended loopholes or unintended like kind of almost marginal tax rates for different players where it will create unequal systems depending on whether you lose a player or not. Maybe that maybe it's complex in an effort to to uh, to fix that because the old system was so weird. How if you were a bottom ten team losing uh, signing a free agent costs you nothing, whereas if you were the 11th worst team in baseball. Signing a free agent cost you more than if you were the 30th worst team in baseball. I mean, that was a disaster of a a situation. (laughs) Maybe this clears it up, but I can't decide whether... Okay, let me just put it this way. I can't decide whether the fact that this is an unrulily complicated, complex system represents a system that is on the brink of collapse and that this is just its final dying gasp Mm-hmm. Or if it means that this is gonna be like so complicated that you can't even have a clean discussion about it and it will become just another weird thing in the CBA that we quit being able to argue over. Because we don't even know what it does. Yeah. I don't
1: like it because I might at some point have to try to figure it out. It's like <laughs> so it
0: really I... is like trying to analyze Chase Utley's contract extension.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's uh Michael Bauman and his ringer response to the cba just he tried to explain it and it was taking paragraphs to do and then he just deleted them and linked to the text so that people could read it if they wanted to because it's just not interesting and not comprehensible so i think it's that i think it could be i think jeff passan might have suggested that it was like It was, you know, the last hour and everyone had been up for a day straight or, you know, working on this for a week straight and they were just trying to hammer out some sort of system and it ended up with this like Rube Goldberg like kind of contraption here and (laughs) that maybe it's just a product of extreme exhaustion and I think it's more of the last gasp thing. I I think... Probably someone said, why don't we just do away with this altogether?" And then (laughs) someone got a little uneasy and, oh, we can't. Then we'll have completely unrestricted free agency for, for people who are in their free agency years. And that, I don't know, just some lingering unease about that going back to the 70s or whatever when everyone was worried that this would ruin baseball. And some negotiator said, no, we have to have something. We have to at least maintain our toehold here so that if we want to do some other system in the future, we don't have to have a, a heavier lift to get it back in there. So maybe we're one CBA away from this being completely wiped clean.
0: This feels like the result of one of those arguments you get into with somebody who just uh, will not like he just will not lose an argument and he the argument gets progressively, more narrow and and tangential uh, as he picks apart single words in whatever sentence you just said until you're hopelessly complex, off-topic, and you, being tired of it, go, yeah, okay, fine. And yeah. he thinks he won, and uh, he's got uh, a napkin uh, tying uh, the JFK assassination uh, to the cucumber industry. So the international draft... Jeff Passan's uh, piece ably captures the drama of the debate uh, or of the negotiation. The international draft uh, is not here. There is no international draft. Uh, in part, it seems because a bunch of uh, Dominican players came and said, "No draft. You can't have a draft." And it seemed like the players' union was was standing up to uh, to the to the league in in uh, solidarity with their underpaid 16-year-old future brethren. And then they end up with a system that seems maybe unambiguously worse for yeah. players yeah. in which there are there are hard caps, they're really like fairly low hard caps. I mean, we're talking there there are teams that have been spending 30-40 million dollars on international free agents over the past couple winters. Uh this has uh 5.75 million is the is the biggest bonus cap, b- bonus pool that anybody will have. And the most they can acquire an extra bonus pool money brings them up to about 10 million. So it seems like there's going to be a lot less money being spent. Meanwhile, all the flaws of the old system in which players who are, uh, you know, 12, 13 years old are uh, under the sway of a, a very Wild Westian uh, system down there will survive. So is this like, I don't know enough to say this, but my first reaction to reading the account was that this is like maybe the most the shamefulest moment of the players' union in yeah. terms of selling out non-40 man guys?
1: Yeah, except like it seems like they didn't want to, <laughs> right? Like they they tried not to, or they made some sh- sort of show of not having the draft at least. So I don't know whether it was just bad negotiating in that like they got so fixated on no draft, no draft that. When m l b conceded okay, no draft and then they just thought they won and 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 then they were okay with this even worse solution i don't I don't know why you would like you know fly in those players and make a big show about no draft and and then go for a worse system on purpose. It doesn't really make sense, right? So I don't know how to explain it other than. Well, not being in the room and who knows what was asked for and who said what, but it's bad. It's Not only is it bad for international players and amateur players in areas where that money is often very vital, but it also just sets a bad precedent in general to have a a cap on anything. Caps are something that the Players Association always resists for a good reason, so I don't know why you would drop your guard even here and say it's okay.
0: Yeah. It seems like the explanation is either that the, the, the negotiation, well, yeah, either the negotiation was a, you know, was, was, was unsuccessful that, that they, they lost or that, uh, maybe they, maybe there were, the, there was more going to the players than, you know, we appreciate. And so yeah. maybe they did leverage this to get other things, or maybe as Jeff, uh, Sort of hints at with with, um, with One sentence that he says Maybe this was less about Benefiting the players Themselves getting them more money uh, And more about preserving the culture Of you know pre Bonus baseball down there That it was a way of preserving the industry That has um, that, that readies these players For July 2nd And that it's more About kind of maintaining So Sovereignty, national sovereignty, cultural sovereignty over uh, instead of uh, instead of seeding it to Major League Baseball, which uh, might actually be maybe in the long term calculus that might be the right thing to do. If not for the fact that there will probably be a draft in five years, anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But if they were able to to uh, to fend off a draft forever, uh, then that might actually be uh, to the long term good of players down there. Even that statement is arguable, uh, though, or you know maybe controversial. It seems to me that that this is now a system that some teams are definitely going to cheat at. Uh, this feels to me like setting it up to be like college sports, where there's a lot of money under the table, and there's only two ways that that wouldn't happen. One is if if the culture of baseball front offices and the people themselves, who uh, staff front offices, are so have so much integrity uh, and so much professional ethics that they would never dream of doing it. Two is that the penalties for getting caught would be so severe that they don't do it. And the penalties to me don't seem very strong. Jeff writes um, of the penalties, while this isn't exactly a death penalty, a new rule allowing commissioner Rob Manfred to hammer teams that cheat internationally internationally has serious teeth. Manfred can take away up to 50% of a team's international bonus allotment for the remainder of the contract, which... A, doesn't seem that severe if you don't think you're going to get caught. Uh And B, gets progressively less severe as the contract progresses. I mean, sure, if you get caught this year, that affects four years of your bonus pool. But what happens in year four when -hmm. there's only one year left? And the system's not going to survive much longer after that anyway. And there's no real reason to fear those teeth so i don't know if i expect there to be a lot of scandals about money under the table but i have a hard time thinking that of that there, that of 30 teams who are probably all going to be suspicious of each other i think that there you know other teams are all cheating that uh, at least one doesn't take the leap and uh and go full-on blue chips on this system yeah you'd think so All right, uh, last thing I want to talk about quickly, and I got to go stir my beans, is the season starting...
1: (laughs) It's like a euphemism for something.
0: It's a euphemism for (laughs) black bean cooking. Uh, Four days early. Uh, The season's going to start four days early so that there can be more off days. And, uh, of course, there are kind of limits on how early... The season can start and how late it can end because of weather and because baseball is a national sport played in a lot of cold weather climates and so i want to ask you hypothetically though imagine a world ben where there was no weather consideration that everybody played in a dome or everybody played in you know san diego weather what would ideally be the length of the calendar not the season we're keeping it 162 games But what would your ideal calendar be? When would the season start? When would it end? Basically, would you rather have a much longer season where you have baseball 10 and a half months a year? Or would you rather have an everyday season where there are no off days? And as much as possible, uh, let's try to think about this as how we would feel 10 years from now when we got used to it so that... The shock of losing our April to September calendar is not so big. We would obviously accustom ourselves to whatever calendar baseball gave us.
1: Yeah, well, of course, there's some argument for year-round. No off-season, no time without baseball. There are a lot of fans who would like that idea. And, I mean, it wouldn't even really... You could have games every day and still have baseball every day all year, right? You could just i mean as it is baseball takes up more than half the year so just have what would you three off days a week or something and you could go all year basically you totally could so i mean and then you get benefits and fatigue and get guys rest and but you don't I mean, get the off season to get guys healthy no that's true but i don't know that fans care i mean yeah i don't know that like, would you just kill pitchers doing this? I don't know. Or or would pitchers accustom themselves to pitching less often, but pitching year round? Is that worse? Is it much more beneficial to have a, a long period of inactivity? I don't know. Lots of pitchers throw over the winter anyway. So not sure about the health ramifications, but from a spectator standpoint... Got a pretty good argument for that, I would say. And I don't know whether the fact that sports that theoretically could do this already do not. Basketball and hockey are played indoors and their seasons are about the same length as baseball's. I don't know whether that's because baseball predated them and they kind of went along with what was already there or whether there is something about that length of time that is just the longest we can sustain our interest in something. It might also be
0: partly about competing against other sports.
1: Yeah, right, sure. So maybe there'd be a decline in ratings just because it would feel like and it would literally be like baseball was always on and it already feels like that sometimes, but now it would actually be true. There would not be a day of the year when there wasn't baseball if you didn't want there to be. So maybe that would just discount the product too much, even though it's not, more games it's the same amount of baseball but it's always there and it's i don't i don't know i i think if you had asked me this when i was 10 yeah i would have said for sure <laughs> give me the year round oh baseball.
0: oh i'm the opposite if you'd asked no, me when i yeah. was 10 i would have needed a giants game every day um, uh, and uh. i know that if i asked my dad he would say every day that it, huh. baseball would suck if there was an, I mean off days are brutal to him already uh, however but <laughs> since I don't watch one team anymore and you could have yeah. baseball games on every day and that's all I want I want to have baseball games mm. uh, it's much different for me now uh-huh yeah I guess that's true I don't know I... <sighs> like my dad is not gonna my dad is not gonna watch the Mets and the Nationals so uh-huh. it doesn't matter to him if there are fourteen games on but maybe he would though in this system he maybe this he, is maybe well, this is the way to get
1: baseball uh, away from the local regional game is
0: maybe you have it
1: year round and if you want baseball on that day, you have no choice but to watch some other team.
0: that could be you'd really have to for him at least you'd have to make uh national uh you'd have to make radio broadcasts nationally available uh, you know easily, and I guess they already are if you have a phone and you have an app. Um, yeah. so maybe that is, maybe that's solved. He would not say that he is interested in that, but maybe he would be. Yeah. I think when I was
1: young, I dreaded the off season more than I do now, just cause there was sort of less in my life. Baseball was like a, a bigger percentage of my entertainment value and just everything that was going on in my life. So I missed it even more when it wasn't there. So I think I would have been even more eager to have it year-round although yeah i would have been sorry to lose the day in day out nature of it while it is there but that's a trade-off that i think i'd probably be willing to make for no five months without baseball so yeah sure
0: are you happy or sad about the four days
1: i'm pretty indifferent
0: (laughs) no you have to have a strong emotion ben (laughs) i've already i've already taken the indifferent position so you now have to argue extreme passion no i'm happy just say happy or sad.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm happy. All Just, right. Yeah, all right. Okay.
0: I do hate rain delays, though. Actually, I don't think I'm happy. I don't like rain delays.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> all right. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Five listeners who've already done so, Joshua Blanchfield, Russell Bryce. Leah DiBrawley, James Santelli, and Matt Powell. Thanks to all of you. You can also buy our book, The Only Rules It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. Go to the website at theonlyrulesithastowork.com for more information. Please leave us a review on Amazon and Goodreads if you like it. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can contact me and Sam via email at podcast at baseballperspectus.com or by messaging us through Patreon. We will talk to you soon.